What is every musician's goal? Tone. Cutting through all the who makes what is exhausting. Colossal Cables has put you and your instrument first by using only the best of the best so you can achieve the tone you deserve. The old saying, you get what you pay for is no joke, but don't be price gouged by the inferior cables that loses tone by the foot. Colossal Cable has put the tone back in your hands. XLR mic cables, speaker cables, instrument cables. See their full line at www.colossalcable.com and take your tone back. All right, hey guys, it's the Animal, and I have none other than Anthony Corder from Tora Tora on the end of the line, man. Nancy, how you doing hey, today, brother? Hey, what's happening? Oh. oh, man, I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, man, it's my pleasure. Trust me. <laughs> so, you guys have a new song out, Trip the Lights Fantastic. Yes. That We're is so an am- Oh, dude, that song is so amazing. I, I've listened to it like 10 times today. Oh, great, man. I, we're I, so excited. <laughs> we uh, we were thrilled, man. We've been really uh, busy writing during the pandemic. I'm sure everybody uh, has been going through this, so just trying to uh, find an outlet. We've all been super challenged, and just everybody's facing all different kind of oh, you yeah. know, uh, ways of trying to navigate this. We're in like unprecedented times right now, but uh, just with health and finances and jobs and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, man, exactly. music has always been an outlet for for me personally, and then for our band. And uh, we just uh, we had the greatest time recording uh, the song. We um, the last show that we played together was in 2020. Before that, when we were recording the song, mm. before that was in I think we played out in Denver, and it was like February of 2020. Oh my and god! I remember when the pandemic started that we thought it was going to be something like we just took a couple weeks off. We, we like, uh, the world was kind of changing. Everybody's trying to keep an eye on what was going on. And we said, Hey, uh, we had recording time already paid for in March of 2020. And we said, well, Hey, let's just push it back to May. I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Yeah. And we didn't have any idea that, uh, that it would go as long as it did. But with that said, because of that, that break and everything, uh, it was actually a year, uh, May of 2021, before we actually got in the studio. And so we wrote a bunch of songs. We, you know, everybody, we're all creative <clears throat> and writing anyway all the time. But I don't think that song would have been in the batch. And it just kind of, he can't, had this riff and came came up with. And we were doing a lot of stuff through just trading files. And, you know, yeah. thank God for technology the way it is now that we can Zoom with each other and and trade files and all that kind of stuff. There's no way, absolutely no way you could have done this in the late eighties. Yeah. Yeah. No, we were like, we laugh about that. The technology that's out now just blows our minds because this is what we dreamed about a long time ago. You know, right. Well, how we can trade files and, and change things and edit and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, we just got excited. We, uh, I sent Keith the, the, the title, and because I heard the riff and stuff, and I was like, man, this kind of reminds me of like a Zeppelin thing. And I said, you know, I was thinking of like a Dancing Days title, not necessarily mm-hmm. a feel, but just the title. And I said, man, I need to find something that's kind of close to that. And uh, and I kind of had this idea for the title, and I sent it to Keith, and he said, man, I love it. And I don't know. We just started thinking about how we just wanted to celebrate and get with people and just kind of come out of this thing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of hope with the, the vaccines and Right. We're starting to get up and start coming out. And it was just such an incredible experience, man. We went, um, we record in Memphis. So um, I'm based out of Nashville, but I went and got with the band. And we actually went in the studio on my birthday back in May. And so that was a great uh, birthday present. Man. Right. I walked in and <clears throat> I saw Keith and I had been kind of in touch because we were writing a lot and kind of had seen each other. But I hadn't seen John and Patrick and Keith all together in a year, you know? Right. And so we went in and just hugged each other. And before they could even mic any of the equipment up or anything, we drug speakers in and like cranked up and yeah. ran a couple of songs and said, man, Oh my God, I missed you guys. Let's like, you know, jam out for a minute. And, uh, it just felt amazing that the energy was there, that we were excited. Um, and so this was one of the, uh, the songs that we did. We actually recorded about 12, uh, basic tracks with drums and bass and everything right. back in May. And then I went back on 4th of July and, uh, did some singing, uh, 
just kind of touching up some things. So we only had a, a, a couple of sessions together, but um, I think what we're doing now is we're just going to start letting out some singles. We're going to let the songs out one at a time. That's uh, awesome, and this man. this was one that we wanted to lead off with because we just felt like it had a great vibe and it's about celebrating uh, everybody having hope, you know, and getting together and remembering what it was like to get together and, you know, huddle yeah. up and spill your drink all over each other and right. be there and enjoy the music <laughs> in the moment. And just, I don't know, we got excited about it <clears throat> and it felt good out of the, the stack of songs that we were working on. We just said, hey, I really think this is the one we should lead off with. And uh, so we're just going to kind of let the audience guide us. Right. Uh, a lot of people have asked, are you going to do a full record? Are you going to do an EP? Are you going to you know, do some kind of special pressing? <clears throat> and we're interacting with them. We're going to kind of let them guide us. Um, we do have a lot of content, <clears throat> excuse me, that's uh, recorded. But we're kind of taking our time through the process, you know. Oh, yeah. It's been uh, an interesting experience. We, uh, excuse me, about three years ago, we recorded Bastards of Bill um, mm -hmm. back in 2018, and it came out 2019, and we toured the whole year for supporting that and let out about three or four singles off that record but that was such a different recording process because we basically recorded that record live <clears throat> we had gone into uh uh sam phillips studio down okay. in memphis so yeah. any of your listeners that aren't familiar with him he was the guy that discovered like howlin wolf and some guy named elvis presley and some uh, little Jimmy guys Lewis, right <laughs> johnny johnny cash <laughs> and uh all these guys uh that were based out of Sun Studios. And what he did is when he saw the Sun Studios up to uh, RCA, he went down the street on the same block and he bought an, an old uh, auto body shop and he gutted it and he built his studio where he built the, you know, the echo chamber. He designed everything. In it. Oh, wow. And man, the building is still designed <clears throat> like the sixties. I mean, I, you could, you, when you walk in, you feel like he's going to walk in there with you. It was just such a crazy experience. But we went in, uh, we recorded that with Jeff Powell, and he had worked as an assistant engineer on Wild America. So we had known him since we were little kids, and he just came and talked to us. And, you know, he just said, hey, I'm, this is going to be a totally laid-back experience. I'm going to make you feel really comfortable. And we already did. He's kind of an extended family member of our band. Right. And to be in that vibe in that building where, I mean, everybody has recorded, uh, you know, legends of music have recorded there like bob dylan and uh all the stacks people and uh of course me one of my favorite singers ever is robert plant he had recorded there so i was like just freaking out and uh <laughs> so we were just so happy and uh it was crazy man yeah the uh the the process was so fast we were kind of limited on our budget uh and and on our time i was coming in from nashville so we had to get a lot of bang for our buck on that yeah. project. So we just went in. I think we recorded everything in about, I think, eight, eight or nine days. We, mm -hmm. we were done with the whole project. So now and, uh, you guys uh, have said that uh, the rest of uh, 21, you guys are going to take some time off to yeah. en ensure that everybody stays safe inside the band and, yeah. your, and your fans yeah. as well. Uh, are are, yeah, you, we are, are you booking again. stuff yet? for uh 22 yeah we're booking for 22 and for 21 i'm filling in on a couple of dates on acoustic I, i'm you know i want to make something really clear man i i want everybody to do what they feel comfortable with and go to your own you know personal health advisor the yep. person you go see your doctor or whatever to do the things you want to do i i feel uh confident and i feel fine about traveling a little bit so I'm going to go, I'm playing in Denver coming up uh, October 8th. I'm going to do Monsters on the Mountain um, in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Yeah, my uh, buddy, uh, my buddy uh, Mitch Malloy <laughs> from Great White, he, he's like, dude, are you coming? I'm oh, like, yeah. Man, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> man. You know, it's so crazy. We were, we had the same manager when we started out as Mitch. Okay. I've known him probably for 30 years. We were, it was us and Mitch Malloy, Taiketo. Yes. White line and overkill. We were all <laughs> on a management company together out of Brooklyn. It was so funny. We were little kids and from Tennessee and didn't know anything. And, uh, and actually I bumped into Mitch up here in Nashville. He was, he was living up here for about, I don't know, 
probably, I don't know, 14 years or something. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even realize he was here. We, I happened to be out at a function, and somebody was singing on stage, and I went, oh, my God, who is this guy singing? And <laughs> I got to look at him and went, oh, my God, that's Mitch. You know, I mean, it was just so funny. I went up and found him after it was over and just couldn't believe it. Yeah, well, and it was a few years after I'd been here, so I was like, I can't believe I didn't, I haven't run into you yet. It was really funny. Well, it, it's amazing, you know. Uh, Mitch is always just a great guy. Uh, yeah, he he could have the the pillars of life falling down around him, and he still makes it about the fan. Oh, I, that's so great. He's he a, is, he's a nice guy. He man. is, but you know, uh, I'll, I'll I will say this: I did see you guys at the Lone Star in Westport, Kansas, back in the day. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> man, we loved the Lone Star. My God. Yeah. So many great memories. And we went, excuse me, we went through there quite a few times. It was oh, just yeah. really, really crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was a um, hole in the wall, but, dude, it had great people. It was awesome. The crowds were always awesome. The fans, I, we're still, we still talk to people about Lone Star on the social media. So they talk oh, to yeah. us about coming there and. But anyway, you know, uh, both of those recording sessions we were talking about before, yeah. the, the Bastards of Bill was really fast. And this process is going to be a little bit different. We're taking a little bit of, of time on it. We went down to uh, Young Avenue Sound in Memphis. Uh, a friend of ours uh, owns the studio and had talked to us a couple of times about coming in and recording. And it just felt like the timing was right. Yep. And the opportunity was there for us to get together and everybody felt okay and so we're we're going out. We're going to promote this uh, this single. We're, we've already got the next one. Uh, Keith's already finished the guitars and stuff, so it's in in mix mode. So we got that one kind of in the in the can, waiting uh, after this one. So I think I'm going to go out and do a few shows and promote this one, and then nice pretty quickly the next one will come out. But it feels pretty good, man. The pace that we're working at feels good. We're excited. We still want to play and and see everybody. So. 2022 we're really looking forward to getting back out and hope we're hopeful that everything will kind of start opening back up we've seen a yeah. couple of these you know false start kind of things that kind of made everybody want to be you know proceed with caution but oh yeah well you it know feels I was, like it's going good uh, I listen was, i've seen uh, uh, two shows lately i went and saw uh black crows and dirty honey okay yeah really cool it was out at an amphitheater here in nashville <laughs> and then this past Sunday night, I went and watched Ace Freely and Alice Cooper. So it was a great way to kick off Halloween. <laughs> right. Uh, I think they're going to um, show up down here. Were incredible. Yeah, they should be headed headed your way, I think. Yeah. They were headed to uh, – they had just played St. Louis. They played here. Yeah. I can't remember where they're playing tonight. But uh, Anyway, it was just fun. You know, to get, to get out at those shows and it's outdoors and everybody's around each other. It was beautiful. The oh, yeah. stars were out wind was blowing and it just you know well you yeah. go oh my god i missed this you know well what was it uh so far this year i was i was i've been have had the honor i should say of being asked to host uh a couple festivals and all three Ooh. of them tanked uh not because oh. of uh bands not because of money but because of this covid thing and people not pulling their heads out of their ass and doing the right thing right you know? yeah Man, yeah, this is wild. It's just the craziest. I feel like we're, we're living in a movie for a minute. Oh, didn't it like that? But, okay, so now back to the, the whole recording thing. Back, yeah. in, back in the 80s, man, time was not cheap. And you guys yeah. went in and you busted ass getting a, an album out, going on tour and writing while you're on tour. So when you got off tour, you recorded again. It, th this thing here is actually taking time to, uh, let's say, culminate. It, it, everything's yeah. thrown into the stew pot, and we're going to wait and see yeah. what happens. Yeah, it's a different process. And, um, you know, man, when I think about those recordings from when we started, we were just so lucky with the producers that we were working with, the oh, studio yeah. we were working at. Um, we worked at a place, Ardent Studios. We did all, every recording we ever had done. <laughs> up until Bastards of Bill had been done in, in that studio. And uh, we had a guy named Paul Ebersole who worked on the first record with us. He was kind of the guy. We won a battle of the bands and he won some studio time. And he was he just happened to be the, the engineer that was there that day that got a, assigned our project or whatever. But as we started talking to him and stuff, he ended up playing piano on Phantom Rider, the original 
uh, track that went out on a five-song EP that we put out in Memphis. And I don't know. We just, something just clicked with us and with him, and he approached us about a production deal. Mm. And so uh, we were working with him, and then also there was a guy named Joe Hardy who had done all the uh, ZZ Top records, the Afterburner. and Right. <clears throat> Uh, he had been on a kind of on a roll with some of his projects. So they co-produced together. So with bringing the two of them together, <clears throat> we thought at the time that Paul felt like he had a lot of experience and he was, you know, a little bit older than us or whatever. But as we look back, he really wasn't that much older than us and he was new. Yeah. So he kind of had uh, co-producing credit with Joe Hardy. And uh, so when Joe stepped in, that gave us some credibility behind our, recordings and our, our projects because he kind of had a name out in the industry and yeah uh, and so they helped us you know they shopped us at first and then they started once we were uh, signed to A&M Joe stepped in and said you know yeah I'm definitely going to move forward and work on it and then they were so patient and they we worked on that record for about a year we cut I bet we cut I don't know 60 songs maybe yeah. or something we were Man. I know we hadn't written that many and uh, we whittled it down to the 10 that came out on Surprise Attack. And then the next album we did was Wild America. And we worked with a guy named John Hampton. He was out of Ardent Studios. And uh, Ardent was awesome because the guy that started it was a guy named John Fry. And he had worked with a band called Big Stars. So I, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with him, but um, probably something yeah. that would be familiar to him is the, the theme song for that 70s show. Okay, yeah. Um, that's one of the big star songs. It's actually Cheap Tricks covering it on that TV right. show, but that's their song. And uh, But that was kind of, John was a really, really great engineer, and he kind of retired out of that and started running his studio. And uh, <clears throat> he kind of just became kind of a father figure to our band. Uh, he was the guy that, you know, took us in a little conference room and he drew a circle on the wall and stuck <laughs> a dot in the middle and he goes, this is you and this is everybody. <laughs> this uh-huh. Digging in your pocket. We're like, great, where do we sign up? Can we go, you know, get on tour and take off and go play music? And, you know, it was just so fun. They, we were lucky because they had, you know, they were a few waves down the road from us. So they had had some experience and had, you know, success and then kind of knocked around in the coals a little bit. So they they had some experience to share with us and kind of help us navigate everything. And Right. Um, and John remained, you know, a really, really close uh, mentor type person to me um, until he passed away a few years back. Every decision I ever made in the music industry since I was about 16, I had talked to him about it. So, uh, you know, I just think about him and I think about just such great memories and so much fun that we had. And we just had a really good relationship. Right. And you you always have to have that person (laughs) that you can fall back on even from the early times until the day you stop, yeah, you, you have to have that person that, that says, okay, maybe if you put your foot in this direction right now, this could happen. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, that's definitely, that was the role he had. He, he was somebody really close to me like that. And then our first manager uh, that was part of that team that had, uh, you know, Mitch and, and Ty Kato and all those guys, uh, he was another guy that stayed really close to me even after we, we're not working together, you know, for years, really. We always stayed in touch, you know, anytime he was coming to Memphis or yeah, anywhere close to home, we would get together and talk about music and go have a drink and, you know, go to dinner and talk. And uh, he ended up being the reason that I ended up moving to Nashville. So, oh, okay. it, you know, he kind of had a, an effect on my life, you know, 15 years after the fact or whatever. Right. So it was pretty, pretty crazy. <clears throat> well, and one of the things that I, I I've had, I've been asked by several people. They're like, you know, that song you, you keep playing on your shows. I'm like, uh, okay, which one they're like the, the amnesia <laughs> one. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. They're like, I just broke up with my girl, dude. And I just, you played that song. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm happy for you. I guess I don't know what to say here, you know? And they're like, yeah, what do you think was going on in, in, in dude's mind when he wrote that? And I was like, man, I, I will ask him if I ever talk to him. And so here's the question. (laughs) (laughs) When you were writing amnesia and walking shoes, all these great tunes, what was going through your mind? Was somebody going through a a harsh uh, breakup or something? (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, it was kind of challenging. We were we had gone through a lot of changes, but man, between that first record, that second record, uh, it was. Um, we had never toured. We were, you know, grew up in Memphis. We were signed there. We cut the record, and then when we went out to promote the album, that was the first time we'd ever been out of the city, out on the road, really. <clears throat> Besides just a few little local, you know, run kind of things that we did. Right. Uh, so we kind of opened our eyes up uh, to a, you know, a giant world out there that we were not familiar with. We were very lucky to have a lot of hometown support and regional support and everything, but nothing like when we got with A&M and they put us on the road. I mean, we just, we went, our A&R guy got in the, uh, we were in a little 15 passenger van and left Memphis. And <laughs> he said, I want to just see your face the first time you see the lights of Manhattan. You know, so oh, yeah. he literally got in the van and rode from Memphis and we drove straight through. We were like, man, we want to go to New York, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so, um, he went with us and it was, it was just such a, it was like going to another planet, man. We just couldn't even believe it. We were just, we were so excited. And what was really funny, we, we saw Manhattan and everything. And then we stayed out on Staten Island. So I don't know if y'all are familiar with it, but yeah. it's not the nicest area. But, <laughs> so we went out there, we had a, like an apartment that the band was staying in. There were seven of us that took off. There was four guys in the band and we took three of our best friends as our crew guys. So we were kind of like a little group of Vikings. Like we got in this thing and took <laughs> off and we were on an adventure, man. And I'll never forget, we got out of the, the van one time and there were some little kids, you know, playing out in the street. And the guy, the little kid looks and goes, man, he thinks he's freaking John Bon Jovi over there. <laughs> <laughs> they were like tough man little kids i mean they were like eight or nine years old man we fell out laughing they were just so funny it was just you know it was a different culture and everything of being up there and uh, absolutely it was just such a fun memory but yeah man with walking shoes uh keith actually wrote the riff to that and it was really late in the project we had already had a bunch of things recorded and i remember going to his apartment and he played that first acoustic little riff thing that everybody hears, you know, at the beginning. Right. And I went, oh, my God, what is that? And he goes, man, it's something I've been working on. I'm working something up. And I remember, man, we were just were at his little apartment, you know, and I was laying on the floor working on lyrics. And we were definitely, or at least I, I feel like we were dealing with, uh, you know, girlfriends and trying to navigate figuring out what was going on in the music industry. We didn't really have any idea what we were getting into. We were, I remember Keith and I, uh, we used to cut grass for a living. My mom was a real estate agent and uh, we put <laughs> lawnmowers in the back of his car and we were driving around. And <clears throat> I remember us like just big blue sky dreaming, you know, right. going, man, wouldn't it be crazy if we went in the studio and we recorded something that got on the radio <laughs> and that we have to go in the studio and do our own songs. And, and I mean, all of a sudden we were there and we just went like, Oh my God, we like put it out in the universe and here it is. It's happening. Yeah. And, uh, definitely that, that <coughs> angst kind of thing with walking shoes was definitely, you know, us kind of dealing with trying to balance all this stuff and, and stay grounded. And, you know, there's all kind of things going on in your head and, uh, oh, absolutely. With new experiences and you're, you're, you know, I don't know, from a creative standpoint, I guess you're uh, self-conscious. You're trying to figure out what people are going to think and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Just, in, you know, just being totally honest with you, we were trying to, we, it was all new to us. So we were trying to navigate that. So, but the walking shoes thing was definitely, man, that, that definitely had some angst behind it. And then <laughs> <laughs> amnesia, uh, we wrote that with a friend of ours named Taylor Rhodes. Um, he had worked with, written and produced and stuff with kicks and we did on the surprise attack tour we did about five or six shows with them okay right when don't close your eyes i mean it was exploding it was on every radio station the video was out oh yeah and uh man they were so good i mean we just couldn't believe how incredible they were live it was just insane they're still great i mean we still are huge fans of theirs. We still see them when they're playing and on the monsters of rock and all those kind of things. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, they just had like a big impact on us. They influenced us watching them and the crowd that they introduced, they were, 
they were a little more established and had been around a little bit. And so the shows that we played with them, they had huge fans, a huge fan base, you know, that were holding the kicks boxes up in the air and screaming and everything. And I mean, we went out and they introduced us to their audience, yeah. which really, really gave us some credibility up in the Northeast where we could go back and play some of these same places we played with them and sell them out, you know? Oh yeah. And it was because of them. And man, I actually got to tell Steve Whiteman in person. I had never got a chance to tell him. And this is like 20 years down the road. I ran into him uh, on one of those monsters of rock cruises. <clears throat> and I saw him and his wife together and there was nobody around. We were like, my wife and I were getting something to eat and he was there with his wife. And I got to walk in and I saw him and I said, man, I really shouldn't do this, but I don't know if I'll ever have this opportunity where there's not people all around him. And I got to go over and just say, Hey man, I never got to tell you, thank you. You know, I said, Hey to him or whatever, but I was like, you guys were so nice to us and, and you gave us such an opportunity to open for you and all that. And, you know, I said, we just enjoyed it so much. And I said, you know, we were just crazy about that. And he said, well, man, you had to go out and earn it. And yeah. it just made me feel really good. He said, you know, you had to go out and go for it. It was our crowd. And uh, so he was just super humble. It just made you, you know, love him that much more. He well, was such a down to earth dude. And, you know, and, and, okay, so being from the let's, the 80s, uh, being in that yeah. music industry side of it, so many of the, the artists – none of them had a big complex. Everybody was just <clears throat> loving being there and being part of it. But then you had a few who were getting ahead of themselves, let's say. Yeah. But now, yeah. no, it was such a great time, man. Oh, it was, but, I mean, I don't think it'll ever be any way to recreate that. It was just the, the stars were aligned uh, yeah. at the time. The music still stands the test of time and stuff that we enjoyed and listened to. Oh yeah. And, uh, it was incredible. But anyway, when we were talking about the kicks stuff, yeah. I, I got sidetracked. But um, we were such fans of theirs. We knew Taylor had worked with them. And so our record companies put us together. He was up here in Nashville. And we came up to see him. And it was just one of the greatest writing experiences. We didn't really have a lot of outside writers at the beginning. We were really, really um, protective. Uh, people had had shown up and tried to write and we just said, man, we like kind of doing what we're doing. And I think it was just might've been, we were a little bit insecure. I think we were worried right. know, if we were doing the right things or whatever, or what it would be like if we got them. But once we kind of did it a little bit, we started realizing that, man, these guys have really been, you know, putting in their 10,000 hours and working on their chops. And yeah, so it was awesome. And with, Taylor, we really wanted to do it. So we ended up, we worked on the Amnesia. He worked on Faith Healer with us. So those were the first two singles right. uh, off the record. And we also worked with a guy named Stan Lynch, uh, who he was the drummer for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Okay, yeah. And the record company set us up with him. And we did Nowhere to Go with Down and Dead Man's Hand with him. And with both of those guys, we wrote multiple sessions and songs and stuff. Those were just the ones that made it on the album but i'm telling you those guys they taught us so much they yeah. were so laid back and so i don't know it was just kind of like i think they realized that we were you know developing kind of immature in the writing department or whatever and they just kind of coached us yeah know? but it was in a good mentoring kind of way and i mean we immediately clicked with both of them we loved working with them oh, and yeah. uh but yeah amnesia was it was kind of an echo uh, off of the walking shoes kind of vibe. Okay, yeah. Uh, and Keith's riff, man, we still, I mean, people ask us every time we're playing, they want us to play that one. <laughs> um, and we had such a great time shooting the video. We shot it at home uh, in Memphis, and uh, we actually did kind of a homemade uh, video first where we followed ourselves around in town. Right. Uh, like in our rehearsal room that's shown in the video and at our favorite bars that we hung out and, you know, driving around downtown at Bill Street and all that stuff. So and now, this couple wrote us from uh, from Seattle and they said, we really want to do this video, man. <laughs> uh, and they were familiar with our record company. And they came and, man, they just made it such a ball. It was one of our best times. And we got to get a bunch of our friends were in the video, the other bands. And, see, I was, was going to ask you we, about that. 
Uh, yeah, the, the the parking garage great. attendant was that a real parking yes. garage attendant or was that like a family friend? We were we had our friends all through the video. The people directing the traffic, <laughs> most of those guys that were playing those parts. We had a rehearsal room in uh, in Midtown. It was about a block away from Artist Studios. It was an old jingle studio from the seventies, so it still had the like two inch glass. You know, it, it had oh. a studio A and B. It had an echo chamber upstairs. And I mean, we basically lived there. We we couldn't stay there all the time because it didn't have a shower. But if we were up and awake and doing anything, it, we everybody was there. Yeah. And it was two or three bands that were in there rehearsing at the same time that were connected to Ardent. And so we all just became like a big family. We would, you know, we had all of our equipment in the same studio, so we'd like, you know, crank up everybody's amps and two sets of drums and. Oh, man. I mean, we just had these huge jam sessions and, uh, you know, we built a bar in it. And, <laughs> I mean, it was just incredible, man. It was, it was so, so fun. It's like some of the best memories. Uh, cause we were there probably for two years in that rehearsal space. Right. We were traveling a lot, you know, touring and stuff, but when we were home, we would go there and we had, uh, you know, uh, recording equipment, microphones and all that stuff set up so we could do, uh, our writing sessions and, and rehearsals and everything. So, it was a, it was real fun. It was real productive, but it was also, man, you know, a hell of a party the whole time we were in there. It was oh yeah, I could imagine. I could imagine that you guys would actually throw down a, a serious party with uh, all them people from Memphis. <laughs> yeah, man. They did oh, a man. party there, I'm man. <laughs> we had before this place. We had the warehouse, which was really famous in Memphis for all of our parties. Uh, our guitar players father had rented a place it was right next door to the hometown coliseum i mean it was like almost in the parking lot and uh he stored um these 55 gallon drums in there they were empty and so we pushed them all to one end we put some st- uh, plywood on top of them built stage we put a huge pa in there hung a bunch <laughs> of stuff up on the walls to kind of absorb the sound and yeah. man, dude we threw some parties in there i mean that thing would hold like four or five hundred people and nobody really in town had a place you could go for underage kids to go see music. So we would do these parties. We didn't do them all the time. We really spaced them out to make it kind of an event right. when we did it. And, uh, but they got, they, we did the first one on Halloween. I'll never forget it. And we had an opening band that played with us <laughs> and, uh, but it was everybody dressed up. So, you know, it's like bunnies everywhere and people dressed up, you know, like oh, the yeah. Reapers and all that stuff. And, we never had an opening band again. We always said, this is going to be our party. and We'll just play and we'll just go up when we feel like playing. But it was so fun that time. Right. But it, they got so big that the radio station would advertise it. Man, we became friends with one of the DJs. And uh, his name was Malcolm Riker. I'll never forget it. He had a locals only show that everybody used to, in the Memphis area, uh, his, the radio station, because of where geographically Memphis is, it goes like out over Arkansas and Mississippi and Alabama yeah. and Tennessee. So they would broadcast this locals-only show. So all the people from that region would try to get their songs on that that uh, locals-only hour. And we got on there somehow or another and became friends with Malcolm. And, man, he pushed our songs, man. Uh, Love's a Bitch and Phantom Rider and all that. They went up in the you know top five for a regional song or something. That's awesome, and man. So he got to where if we were throwing a party, he'd go, don't forget to go to where. <laughs> you know, and he would do it like on the his radio voice and stuff. I right. mean, it was just so. We were little kids riding around in our car, going, "Oh my God!" He just announced the party. You know, I mean, it was like something of a movie. Oh yeah. And uh, we owe so much to him in the the local Memphis community, man. The the radio stations there, Rock One Hundred Three and and Rock Ninety Eight, for pushing local music. And oh, uh, I'll never forget it, man. The A and R guy that signed us said uh, he knew he was going to sign us because he got in the car to come. We showcased at that warehouse uh, in one of our early showcases. And uh, he said he got in his rental car at the airport and turned the radio on and our song was playing. Nice. And I, he goes, I just knew I wanted to work with you, you know, when I got to your uh, place to see y'all play, I already knew that I wanted to talk to y'all. And huh. uh, we did the same thing at that warehouse, man. We built a bar. It was kind of in the upstairs uh area there were these offices in the front of it and you could stand on top and see the whole room and so we brought in all the record company people and put them up there before the party started right and then they just watched us like organically what happened (laughs) and 
man, it was so funny. People were dragging coolers in and lawn chairs and, you know, we had some like five gallon buckets with sand in them to try to keep people from burning the building down. Right. <laughs> and stuff. We didn't think anything about back then about liability and all that kind of stuff. We oh, didn't God, have any no. idea about it. But it was, we were kind of like little entrepreneurs, man. We, we hired a couple of football guys from Ole Miss and they took everybody's money and we gave them all the beer they could drink just to make sure nobody got hurt. We were, you know, said yeah. if anybody, you know, there was a lot of, uh, we went to uh, two different high schools, the band did. So there were these groups of people that would get mixed together. And sometimes they didn't always, you know, flush out. They'd, somebody'd say something. You remember when you were, oh, yeah. you know, out so we would just tell them, we'd say, hey, if anything gets crazy, just pick them up and throw them outside in the sand pile and, and make sure nobody in here. Because we were like, we just want to party, man. We want everybody to love on each other and oh, play yeah. music and you know, but it was so funny, man. The overflow would go out of that building and out in the parking lot, and people would sit on the hoods of their car. They would throw frisbees, and people were bringing food and you know, take out stuff and sit oh, yeah. around. And we were playing. It was just such a good time, man. Well, now it was that that era you talked about was just so amazing because we were feeling kind of the overflow of everything out on the Sunset Strip. It was kind of happening in Memphis that same way. There was man, tons of musicians. They were all you know really good good bands and stuff right they're all young and we're all trying to make it and so it was competitive but at the same time if anybody got anybody's attention it helped everybody so all of a sudden people were like looking and they were having producer showcases and you know avenues for us to access people producers and people were showing up and A&R guys and all that stuff so it was just it was an incredible time in Memphis and you know it, it has to start somewhere and, you yeah. know, it sure it started with, you know, the Elvises and all that. But during the 80s, let's face it, Memphis was not cranking out the metal bands. So, yeah, it really, you guys were the ones that said, hey, come here, look at this. E- even though Man, you're in was, a music mecca. Yeah. It was so crazy. You know, Keith and them, uh, they were just really super guys man when when we got together <clears throat> it was really funny we were we had all been in high school with each other patrick and uh the bass player went to one high school and keith and john had gone to another one and uh our bass player patrick and keith have known each other since they were eight years old so we've known they've known each other almost their whole lives right and uh you know i went to go see them and this is how funny this is really dating this but uh i remember patrick came up to me i was at the mall and he came up and said, hey, we're auditioning some singers. And I had kind of been knocking around in a little neighborhood band singing. And uh, th- there was a friend of mine named Michael McDonald. That, he's the whole reason I ever started singing, man. He was a guitar shredding. I mean, he had a pink Charvel. He could just tear the strings up. <laughs> he loved there. He loved Dockin' and Rat and Bon Jovi and all that. You know, and he was just yeah. in there. He would just play with the records and stuff. Well, anyway, we got to talking to each other. And he said, man, we ought to jam some, you know. And uh, so anyway, we had done a, a couple of like, I guess, uh, high school talent shows or something. And then Patrick came up to me and said, do you want to come uh, audition or something? And uh, so I went over there and uh, my aunt was like a huge influence on me. She played acoustic and stuff. And so I thought I'd take my acoustic over there and play something, you know, kind of singer songwriter and maybe play a, you know, an Eagle song or, or something, Desperado or something, try to show them I could sing. And man, I got about in the door and about halfway into that song. They go, man, that's cool. But you know, in Cheap Trick or Aerosmith or what about 2112 by Rush? And I just went, man, I, I think I could get through it, you know? And that first day when we met each other, it was just awesome. We just, everybody just clicked. Our personalities clicked. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, and that's what's important we to keep it together. We wanted to do something, man. You know, and they were, we were excited. I mean, I really thought they were way more established when I met them and right. I just kind of had this vision of them. They had played some gigs, you know, in some bad parts of town. They had done some recording and I was like, man, these guys have got some experience, man. They're <laughs> you know, messing around. They were older than me, a couple of years older than me. You know, they were out of school and I think yeah. I was in 11th grade when I met them. So it was just, man, it was so fun. I mean, we grew up together. We went through, you know, some of the greatest times high on the mountain. And then we went through some, you know, scary dark times, but we were, we've always, all of us have remained friends and 
you know, family, man. They're the, the closest things to brothers. Oh yeah. That I have. I, I have one sister, you know, and they're, they're like my family. So it was just awesome, man. I'm oh, telling yeah. you, it was like, we've been so lucky and we're so uh, blessed that we're still able to do it now. Uh, to still be doing music and still feel creative and feel like we have something that we want to say. and Yeah, exactly. You know, we don't take that for granted, man, because we so, all kind of, we step back, you know, to, to raise our families and stuff. Well, that has been something that's always been important to us is family right. first, you know. Okay, so uh, I ask every musician or group that I have on uh, my podcast, what is your most memorable Spinal Tap moment? Oh my God. <laughs> oh man. This is really funny. Oh God. We've got so many. I mean, I don't even know where to start. It, it, I mean, at the very, very beginning, I remember, man, and this is so funny. It's kind of uh, a connection to this past weekend. The first really, really big show that we ever got to do, uh, our friend that, Malcolm Riker at Rock 98 asked us, he said, hey, do y'all want to play a show with Alice Cooper and Murderhead? And we were like, oh, my God, yeah, it's going to be at the Cook Convention Center. Yeah. It was about a, I don't know, two or 3,000 seat theater. We had never had any kind of big gig before. We'd never done anything. And uh, so we went, and, man, we were jumping around the dressing room, you know, getting dressed. We couldn't believe it. You know, we're so excited. And all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door, da, 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 and the guy goes, hey, Motorhead couldn't get through customs. You got to extend your set. See you in a minute. You know? <laughs> like, oh my God, we gotta, we gotta get some songs together. And so we're panicking. You know, we're jumping around in our underwear, getting dressed, and like getting ready to go out there, and just a thrill, man. You know, we're like, oh my God, we're doing a real show for. Oh man. yeah. This isn't joking, right? But anyway, we went out there, man, and I'm not kidding. The very first thing that happened was John counts off one, two, three, four. And Keith's amp blows up. Oh my God. <laughs> that is <laughs> the head blows up. And we froze. Everybody Patrick's still playing, John's playing, and we're looking at Keith like, why aren't you playing? And then we look and we go, Oh, no wonder, man, his his head's messed up. <laughs> and so, you know, we're just kind of I don't know, frozen, kind of <laughs> trying to figure out what to do. And all of a sudden, man, <laughs> out of the back of the theater, man, we just see this form coming. And this guy comes running out and like knocks Keith's head off and sticks another one up there and crams a cord in it and goes, Go! <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of Alice Cooper's texts that had seen what happened, man. And oh my God. He jumped in there and, and I mean, we did the set. We ended up, we, you know, survived it. But it was like one of the funniest things that ever happened to us. We just, Get oh, so yeah. tickled about it. We're like, man, the, our one shot to come out with a big bang and <laughs> you know, that head blows up. But, man, well, we had so many of those. We had times of trying to figure out how to get to the stage. You know, I mean, it was right out of the movie. Man. Oh, yeah. We would go, oh, my God, <laughs> what is going on, man? Well, now, see, a few years ago, I was involved with a committee that we brought, uh, God, who was it? Uh, Banshee, Hedy's. <laughs> uh, uh, God, I mean, just this, it was a weekend festival. And we had all these bands coming in, and these guys, man, God love them, dude. They're from the sticks in Kansas. Okay, I was I was at a radio uh, station in Central Kansas. Basically, you go down I seventy till the Earth curves, and you take a left, and you're there. So, yeah, <laughs> I they're like, well, what's this backline thing they're talking about? And I'm like, okay, so I explain it to them, and they're like, oh, well, can't you got a bunch of amps and stuff? I'm like, I don't have what they're looking for. I I, I, ha, I have what I have. They want, you know, Kemper modelers. Yeah. Well, well, how much is one of those things? We'll go out and buy one. I'm like, they want three of them and they're about five grand each. Oh my God. <laughs> and he's like, can we rent those? I'm like, yes, we can rent them. So I, I got in, got in with this, uh, uh, backline company who's graciously also our lighting and sound company. Uh, hooked oh, us wow. up with all these people and we had this it was a 48 foot trailer that folded out and opened up and it's just a huge stage and and they got the bill for all the stuff and he goes 
my God, he goes, I don't think we can do this next year. I'm like, dude, you're already hip deep, man. <laughs> but then, you know, the Corona hit. <laughs> but to this day, oh, they're, they're like, do you know, how, well, we, we brought Skid Row out, okay? And Skid oh, Row, God. their rider is is really, really simple, is really basic, but they use Kemper modelers instead of, you know, the Marshall heads and the Ampegs and all that, right? Yeah. So they're the ones I had to find the Kemper modelers for. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'm talking. I'm, I'm talking to uh, uh, Rachel and Snake the night before, and I'm going. I go, dude. Do you have any idea what it's like to find a Kemper modeler in Central Kansas? And they're like, no. <laughs> like it's it's next to impossible. And we were out drinking and having a good time. And I'm sure you've experienced this with going out and and having a drink at a bar or or dinner or whatever people act like there was a rope around them and they couldn't cross it. They just stand there and look at them. <laughs> and I, I'd, I'd go, go to the bathroom and somebody say, Hey animal, can you get me to get their autograph or something? I'm like, just go over and ask them. <laughs> you know? yeah, well, we, we, right. we don't want to disturb them. I'm like, they're watching a damn Yankees game. It's going to be cool. Trust me. So, oh yeah. <laughs> but those guys they down to earth. Dudes, dude. They are see so cool. He lives here in town. So I see him every once in a while. Well, what, what was really <clears throat> funny was, uh, I interviewed snake right before the, uh, concert and me and him got off on this tangent about, uh, what speaker cabinet to use in, in what speaker to pair it with and what amp goes best with. And we talked about that for like five <laughs> minutes until my GM comes up there and knocks on the window and he goes, you need to move on. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, are we still live? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, man, it, it, these stories, God, oh when God. you start thinking about them, Oh yeah. So and, many, we did, uh, there used to be, you remember Z rock? Oh God. Yes. The metal so militia. We did uh, a live broadcast, man. They brought out the truck or whatever, and we did it at Dallas City Limits. Yep. <laughs> we loved going through there. We would uh, every time we go through, we try to go see the people that ran it. We were just loved that place. They had like ten cent beer night on Thursday night or something. <laughs> it would have us out there, but man, I'll never forget. We were doing <laughs> this show, and uh, it was for Wild America, man. We had this intro. Of the airplane landing and all that kind of stuff, you know, right. the record that we were going to start with, with the track that did the, you know, started the record. And but anyway, that night they turned the the intro music on. You know, there was a cue, and we would know, okay, yeah, we're like, you know, five minutes away. Let's go, and then yeah. the airplane's going to land. But anyway, <laughs> they turned it on, and the crew guys took my mic and the stand and everything and stuck it out on stage, you know? So I would, when I came out, I, the band would start first cause it had this big intro and then I would run out, you know, and grab the microphone. <laughs> well, man, that live broadcast started, the guy came out and introduced us and, uh, they walked away from that mic stand and somebody grabbed the mic stand, man, that mic fell off. <laughs> and it sounded like if you're listening, you're not there in person. It just sounded like I fell over. I passed out or something. There was this huge sound of the microphone hit the ground. It hit the stage first, and then it bounced out into the audience. And you could hear people's feet, like, scrubbing around. And somebody picked it up. Ten cent beer, let's go. And we went, oh, my God. And I was like, get the microphone, you know. And I ran out. And I'm not kidding, man. I looked at somebody with, like, the look of death in my eye, man. And I said, Give me the mic, you know. And for some reason, whoever that person was was just drunk enough that they just held the mic up and gave it to me, like on cue. <laughs> <laughs> and I started singing. Oh, I'm man. not kidding. And the funniest part of the story is that was live, but they recorded the show and yeah. they sent us the tape of it. You know, after it was over, <laughs> and we listened. Oh my god, it was one of the funniest things I'd ever heard in my life. Man. Oh yeah, it was so funny. I mean, we were, you know, of course we were traumatized when it was going on. We were like, oh, my God, we're live on Z-Rock. We love this station. What is going on? You know, we got done, but it was fun. The the show went off without a hitch after that, but it was just, you know, we think about those kind of things that are just so crazy, man. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the uh, uh, Bullet Boys, they were just uh, over at the Rail Club in Fort Worth, and if you ever get a chance, that is a place you've got to play. It is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Mick Sweet is up there playing, 
And then all of a sudden, his his music just stops. And he's, he's, he's looking at his guitar, and he's looking at the floor, turns around and looks at the amps, and he turns back around, and he's, he's kneeling down, replugging stuff, and all of a sudden you hear the guitar sound, and then it goes away, and he's, I mean, he's scrambling to fix all this. Then it starts working, and he gets up just like nothing happened. I'm like, dude, that was awesome. Oh, my God, man. That's total panic moment. Oh, it I is. But he handled it yeah. so smoothly. He's just like, oh, okay, cool, and just started going through it, and then, when it started working, he's like, all right, let's play. <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. God, so. yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> Those are good times, man. Good. They're crazy no, memories. Absolutely, man. And I, I, there's there's only been one time that I've actually encountered somebody that was a complete ass. And mm. uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but we were uh, at a <laughs> show in uh, Salina, Kansas. And uh, – Steve Vai and Zach Wild and Nuno Betancourt and Toshi Iobi was there and another guy. Wow. <laughs> and the Holy other, smoke. the guy that I'm not mentioning, I, I'm standing back here talking to Zach Wild and he goes walking by. I said, Hey, man, I said, you were a very influential part of my guitar playing when I was growing up. I said, I just absolutely loved it. And he goes, Good. And walks off. Zach goes, Hey, 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 you don't have to be a dick all the time. <laughs> God, man. I'm like that is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah, man, I'm telling you, there's nothing worse than somebody just kind of ruin your your image of them or whatever. Well, we he, lucky, he's famously most known. Of the we met. Yeah, yeah. Most of the people we met were really cool and oh, everybody is. At least they were cool enough to you know uh, oblige us for a second to say something to them. But yeah, exactly. I'm telling you, crazy, crazy stuff, man. Absolutely. That just flash of memories when you said what's your spinal tap moment my god we've got so many crazy stories that things that you know the the thing is with that is you know i I don't do any gotcha stuff i don't say well you know in 1987 i don't care about any of that crap what i want to know is what made this fun for you what oh yeah man and i think the most thing that we enjoy is just being together we still i mean we've been together you know 30 years yeah i mean it's that's a long time um and that we still get to do it and we're still friends i mean we really are we genuinely like hanging out with each other and messing with each other right like i said earlier we're just we've been really lucky and um I don't know, man. You know, a couple of years ago, our, our bass player, Patrick, had kind of a health scare, and uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And, it, you know, oh. anytime you hear the nasty C and, at yeah. our age and kind of the lifestyle that we were living and everything, we're like, oh, God, you know, this is bad. But the luckiest thing was he was in to the doctor for uh, something else totally different, and right. they caught it at such an early stage. The person told him, they just said, hey, you're going to make a full recovery, man. Well, see, we're gonna get this. Yeah, I had colon cancer and, eight years ago. Oh man, I didn't know that. Yeah, they took out a third of my colon, so now I'm a third less asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well, it was just such an awakening moment for it us. It is. We uh, we you know we t- we talked to Patrick as soon as he was you know given the all clear. I mean, the first thing he said is he goes, "I want to go play. I don't care if it's five people or fifty or five thousand or whatever." Yep. Can we just go do some shows? And that was the first time we did the Monsters of Rock. So that was back in 2017 or something. Okay. Cool. And they, we had been approached a couple of times to do it. And we could never get our schedules turned around. But when they asked that time, we just said, everybody block it. We're going to go do this. And, yep. man, it was one of the greatest experiences of our life. We went, and it was like we found our tribe. And we got to see all the bands. I mean, Kings X was on there, Kicks. Oh, man. Um uh, Pat Travers was on there. We saw Queens, right? Uh, we've been on there and, uh, saw Tesla. Um, we did see extreme on the, I can't remember if that was the first one or the second one, but anyway, the very first one, we just ran into all the right. crowd that was on there. We just said, Oh my God, these are all the people that are listening and watching and traveling and doing this. And it was just so fun. You know, we did a couple of shows and we we're on there for a couple of days with everybody. And, um, well, it was just amazing. You know, it's about community and culture and just yeah. everybody getting together. And, you know, we miss that now, and, but I think it's coming back. And I yeah. think, uh, you know, this next couple of weeks, getting into the Monsters on the Mountain thing will be really good to see a lot of those. Well, now, see, uh, Great White's going to be there. And yeah. uh, 
My, uh, I've got a buddy from Kansas City who plays uh, keys for Vixen, uh, Tyson Leslie. Oh, yeah, I know Tyson, man. He's Dude. here in Nashville. For, yeah, well, he's back in Kansas City before. now. So yeah. he's going to yeah. be up there. Me and my wife are really considering going up there because oh, yeah, uh, man. all other you things have fallen through. Awesome. So, yeah. And, of course, you know. Man, we'll, Tyson did such a good job here in town. He did, he did uh, oh. benefits, rare hair benefits. Oh, yeah. Money for, different charities and stuff he was i don't know how in the world that guy coordinated that there was a hundred different musicians playing on all different songs and man he he had everybody all coordinated and, yeah um he's a beast really man. Fun, man he's a beast and he brought <laughs> some people together i got to play tori from enough enough played amnesia with me really one of those things yeah it oh, was wow. so fun man it was really really fun we just He's such a talented guy, and he's he's another guy that's super down to earth. But oh yeah, yeah Tyson he is. is he did a lot of great things. I just did the uh, he coordinated the rare hair thing for Rock and Pod this right. year, and I, I sang on that on a couple of songs. We did uh, uh, "Loves a Bitch" uh-huh. and "Walking Shoes." Okay. Well, and and but the yeah. nice something for yourself here the the podcast this is going on. It's called the Next Note. It's on my website bigharocalypse dot com, and yeah. uh, what it is is just a list of all these people that I, I know through the industry that I'm, I'm talking to and Tyson's one of them oh. that's on there. I, I didn't interview oh, with him man, much that's long a, ago. That's great. Man. He, well, he's a good guy. Uh, extremely cool cat. And, uh, the stories that he tells because so many people he's been, uh, working with and just all, all yeah. a total beast. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's crazy, man. He's totally nuts. He's awesome. Yeah. It's so, really fun. Small world. Now, let, let's, uh, you're going to be at the uh, Monsters on the Mountain. That's what, October? Yeah, so coming up, uh, October 8th, I'm out in Denver. Yeah. So I'll be out there with Wolfpack Productions, uh, Anthony Lucero and, and his group. We love those guys. Um, then I'm at Monsters on the Mountain. That's going to be October 15th and 16th. Uh-huh. And 17th, there were the three days. So there's three days of music. Everybody, Vince, Nail Kicks, Tesla, Slaughter, everybody's favorite bands. They're all going to oh, be yeah. out there. Uh, and then I think I play in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, I'll be in St. Louis, Missouri, Kansas City, I believe, is coming up. Uh, and then I'm up in uh, New York and Pennsylvania at the end of the year. So oh, I've wow. got about six shows left, I think, to do out the year. And, you know, like I said earlier, we're proceeding with caution. If there's anything of, if it becomes uh, mass mandates or right. any kind of spikes or anything, we'll make sure that we're being careful and maybe reschedule. But as of right now, for sure, in Friday night, I'm in Denver. That one is definitely on. And Monsters yeah. on the Mountain, those next two weekends, I'm, yeah. I'm going to make those things happen. Well, um, now, if you come to Dallas, dude, you've got to call me. I mean, you've got my number. you got to say, dude, I'm going to be in man, Dallas. are you kidding? I would love to come back down there. I, we have worked with a guy named Mike Rios down there. He's put on some shows with us. We did the, uh, I'm trying to think, of Regalia Theater. Yeah. I think we did that one. And then I did the thing with Robbie uh, recently that was down yeah. at the, the Springs Tavern, I think was the name of the place. Yeah, uh, um, God, somebody's going to be there coming up really soon. I can't. Oh, uh, Tony Hornell's going to be there. Yes, man, that's another great singer, man. That Dude. guy, wow, his pipes are still killer. You yeah. know, he's out. Eric Martin's been doing some acoustic stuff. His his voice is still incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, like doing... I said, John sounded amazing on when he did his acoustic thing and the stories that they tell and. I mean, it's just really kind of cool. I was just so happy. That show in uh, Texas was the first time I had played in a, a really long time. Huh. Uh, that was in, like, June, I think. Yeah. I and, uh, oh, anyway, yeah, I it's been in, so fun. Yeah, the I'm weekend. Just, you, I'm really excited. I hope I get to see it at the Monster on the Mountain. That would be really fun. Well, you know, my wife, she's a school teacher. So her being able to get off work is next to impossible because there's such a teacher shortage right now. Oh, yes. Man. So, Hats off to the teachers, man. Oh, she's dealing with such little asshole kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. ev- everybody's forgotten how to be a student, how to re- yeah. how to respect your teacher. I mean, dude, I can remember back in the day, man, the teacher would whoop your ass. But I know. <laughs> now I know, you can't man. do that because. That <laughs> no way, man. It's a different world, man, we're in. You're yeah. right about that. But, well, listen, man, 
I, w- I did want to tell everybody, thank, uh, thank you, all the, you know, frontline workers, man. I, I've got family members that are in the um, medical field and in the, in the service and stuff. We just want to give our hats off to them and thank them for everything. And then Absolutely. Uh, anybody that wants to get in touch with us, go to toratoramusic.com. That's our website. You can reach us on there. Sign up for our uh, email list. We're going to be doing sneak peeks of our new recordings, so you guys will get to hear some of the um, – edits and all that kind of stuff yeah. before anybody else hears any of the music. Well, and, and then on social media, you're it's everywhere. all us on there. <laughs> on Instagram and Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. You're talking to us. We love hearing from you guys. So just reach out anytime. And we look forward to seeing you guys out on the road, man. Come see me play acoustic and, and the band will be back out on the road soon. Absolutely, man. Well, like I said, dude, you've got my number. Uh, give me a, give me a heads up. If you're coming in town and I'll make sure that I'm available to, uh, take you to the most incredible vietnamese street food you'll ever have in your life oh great man that sounds <laughs> exciting yeah man i'm totally down for that so, that sounds killer man all right that brother really fun man Anthony, thanks for everything man i hope you uh, have a great rest of your week man you too brother Appreciate and we'll talk soon man give me a, thank all right you everybody so that's mr anthony quarter and i'll be back in a minute what is every musician's goal tone Cutting through all the who makes what is exhausting. Colossal Cables has put you and your instrument first by using only the best of the best so you can achieve the tone you deserve. The old saying, you get what you pay for, is no joke, but don't be price gouged by the inferior cables that loses tone by the foot. Colossal Cable has put the tone back in your hands. XLR mic cables, speaker cables, instrument cables. See their full line at www.colossalcable.com and take your tone back. <laughs> 